Hey there, nursing community. We're back. It's two male nurses. You got two male nurses here, and we're back, baby. Uh, we got a doozy, a doozy of an episode for you guys today. Hey there, everyone. We have a really special episode coming to you guys this week that we've been working on for a while now, and that might be why we didn't have any episodes for a little bit. Well, yeah, so there was um, a, a, a series of unforeseen events uh, that was, uh, we actually didn't see it coming, but uh, there was a couple weeks there um, where 50% of the team was... Uh, yeah, I got COVID. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I got COVID. We're, we're trying to be responsible, man. I was yeah. trying to get, yeah, you know. Yeah. Now yeah. he's better, though. Now he's better. Oh, all better. You know, being on the vent really isn't that bad. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. We didn't have to intubate him. No. It was fine. Andrew had a, a just a couple uh, a couple of rough weeks there. He did the 10 days. And uh, so now we're back at it. We're back at it, and we're hoping to really bring you guys a very interesting, informative, and very practical um, podcast today um, on how to care for post-op carotid endarterectomies. Nice. Yeah. So this is just a for, fair warning. It's going to be a little bit longer of an episode. We talked about splitting it into two, but for continuity and just so we try to get it all in there for you guys, we're going to do one episode, uh, very specialized, how to handle this 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 procedure. If you're working in a surgical ICU, or I guess you know, technically down in the ER, if someone comes in after one of these a few days after and they're having issues with it, uh, these are the things that you're going to be watching for. But this is specifically specifically we're tailoring this to surgical ICU nurses who have these kinds of patients. It does have really good uh, neuro focus in there. So if you're a new nurse and you're do maybe want to learn a good neuro assessment, there should be some stuff in there for that. Uh, but yeah, so this is about specifically a carotid endarterectomy. Yeah, so we're going to talk about it um, here, and it's, it's going to be very practical and tangible. But before we begin, we really want to give a big shout out to our resource for this topic, and that is Dr. Well, he's a physician. He's a physician. <laughs> he's a physician in our uh, hospital. He's a, a big thank you to this guy. He He's an awesome physician. Top quality. He has... Over 10 years experience. Right. Lowest infection rates like in the nation probably. <laughs> he's, he's a great, he's a great he's doctor. A fantastic vascular surgeon um, who works there. He does everything from, you know, I mean, these carotids to fem pops. He works in cath lab, like all kinds of stuff. Very knowledgeable. Um, and he it was very kind of him to actually take some time and to talk with us about it. He did mention that he didn't want us to mention um, his name or anything, um, but... We so, still want to say yeah, thank you. We still want to say thank you. Cause, thank you because, yeah. Uh, yeah, just just, just a very big thank you. Didn't have right. to do this for us. He took a bunch of time, and we just – like big thank you to this uh, physician for his time. Uh, so – and we're going to try to put in everything into this for you guys. Yeah, we're going to try to um, downgrade basically what he said into nursing terms because he was using some pretty big language. Big words, yeah. And yeah, not the, yeah. all right. So uh, first thing we're going to talk well, about. Tell us about the, Tell us what it is. Yeah. Because so I'm just going to throw this. When I first got to surgical ICU, it was like my third day, and I had one of these. And I was like, oh, yo, hey, 
Medina, you're getting an end dart. And I'm like, they're frantically Googling it when no one's looking like, what the heck is an end dart? I don't know what they're talking. Like no one's seeing my screen trying to Google it. So we'll just definition wise. Here. Yeah. So carotid endorectomy is a surgical procedure that um, is used for people that have either um, stenosis or extensive plaque um, built up in their um, internal carotid arteries. And basically an endarterectomy is where they're going to go in. They literally are cutting um, open um, certain either layers or the whole thing and grinding out all of that nasty plaque. Okay, there's also carotid um, stenting where they'll go in there, open something called angioplasty where they actually open up the vessel and then place a stent in there. But we're not going to focus on that today. We're focusing on a carotid endarterectomy and then postoperatively, what are we going to be um, looking for? Cool. Okay, so um, we'll just go down the list here. You, so you hear you're getting an endart. Now you as the nurse, you know, okay, so physician just went in, cleaned out that plaque. Uh, they probably had some sort of scan either in the days or weeks before that showed a lot of plaque, a lot of buildup. Right. And so they're, we're going to go to clear it out to prevent a stroke. Because again, maybe the newer nurses here, but that carotid is just sending all that blood straight up to your head. Okay. Right. This is the main pathway to your dome. So this is the flow. Okay. So what are you going to check? So again, this is the main pathway to your head. Okay. All the blood going to your head. What are you going to be checking? It's neurochecks. Yeah, neurochecks. And that's going to be the first thing we're going to talk about, followed by blood pressure control, monitoring the site, um, post-operative um, care, arsenic spirometry and everything, and pain management. But we're going to focus right now on neurochecks. Okay, nice. so bringing us back to nursing school where we had to learn those 12 cranial nerves so then we could forget. <laughs> yeah. We're bringing it back, all right? <laughs> Understanding the you know the exact terminology and which number isn't the most important part, but understanding how to assess these cranial nerves that are just at high risk after that surgeon's been you know messing around in that neck, tying loops here, cutting past there, and everything with all those um, those cranial nerves that are running through there. What we need to be looking for. So the cranial nerves that we're going to be talking about are cranial nerve five, seven, nine, ten, and twelve. Okay, you have to memorize all the specifics about it, but we're going to teach you how to assess it. Those okay? five, so in your head, you should be thinking, neuro checks, I'm checking five. Yep. I'm going to go in and check the five. And you can start with the, with the five. The first one is trigeminal. Okay, that, that's it's cranial nerve five. It's cranial nerve five. five. Yep. Ben, talk with us about how we test um, the trigeminal nerve. Well, that's the trigeminal. You're gonna be checking facial sensation. Uh, so you know that you got those. The, you get the neural resident who always comes in and pulls out a needle out of their pocket. Like, Why are you? Care? What in the world are they carrying that thing around all day? They ever stab themselves? Yeah, they ever stab themselves? I've always wondered. They even stab yeah, themselves. But yeah, you can check the facial sensation. That's cranial nerve five. Five. Yep. Checking facial sensation. Now it's not the facial nerve. Right. It's the trigeminal nerve. Facial sensation. Right. It's five. We remember that the trigeminal is just the sensation portion of the face. But the actual motor part is going to be cranial nerve number seven. And this is where things get a little more familiar when you see that surgeon doing the post-op assessment. And from what you know, we do all the time as our post-op ass assessment, cranial nerve seven is the facial nerve. And that's going to be controlling like the muscles inside the face. And so that's why to assess it, you're going to have them smile. And that will check it. You can have them raise their eyebrows, even puff out their cheeks and everything to make sure that that cranial nerve is intact. Okay, so if, you know, they're doing a um, right-sided procedure, you could be anticipating or if, you know, things were to go bad, you would be having some left-sided 
facial issues, like either some, you know, sometimes it's very, very subtle, some like subtle, uh, you know, lip droop or facial droop or can't raise their eyebrow up all the way. And um, yeah, so that's what's really important about cranial nerve number seven. And just reinforcing this because talking about that very subtle lip, you know, falling down on one side might get you really freaked out and be like, oh man, they're, they're starting to struggle. They've totally stroked out. Understand the patient's baseline. Often we don't get to see them post our, you know, pre-procedure and everything. But if the surgeon or surgical resident can come by and be like, no, this is, um, you know, how they are normally and everything, then it's, you know, you can monitor if it gets worse or, you know, just to know that that is their baseline. It's really important for these assessments. Yeah, definitely not not hesitating to call them if you see anything like this. Yeah. I uh, just have them t- come and take a look at it. Uh, the the SIC where we work, uh, the head physician, again, super great guy. And then you got the, the all the residents actually for the most part I've seen are also really, really nice guys. They, have, they yeah. never hesitate to just come over and take a look. Right. So just don't hesitate to put a call out to the doc. This is a pretty big one. Just if you see something that makes you uncomfortable, just just shoot the, shoot the doc a call. Don't get the bald man angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's very true. That is very, very true. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah okay. <laughs> I'm not giving too many things away here. All right. Cranial nerve number nine. Ben, talk to us about cranial nerve number nine. Sure. So this is glossopharyngeal. Um, this is the uvula uh, deviating around. So this this cranial nerve, and it's this is one of the interesting ones for me. I, I always thought it was interesting when I heard this. So there, each one of these cranial nerves is located in a certain spot, and so you're checking you're checking the cranial nerve to make sure the blood is flowing to the right place, but you're also checking in relation to where the surgeon worked. So he, he opened up that carotid. He was in there mucking around in there. You're going to have issues with parts of the patient's anatomy that are located close to that. Mm. So that, we're going to talk more about that later in, in relation to something. But um, he, the, the, the cranial nerve 9 is located right there in the carotid. So if they cut that carotid open and they're in there changing things and cleaning out and stretching and whatever, you're going to obviously have some sort of uh, effect on things. Mm-hmm. So glossopharyngeal nerve, cranial nerve 9, it's in there in the carotid. You're going to check this by checking their uvula in the back of their throat. So you're going to have them say, ah, okay? And the uvula, is should it should deviate, uh, it should deviate. Well, it should be straight, yeah, I guess. It should, it should be, be should it should deviate be straight. straight up. <laughs> it should, right. It should, your uvula should just hang straight down, and that should be fine. If you have an issue, the uvula is going to deviate away from the issue, away right. from the problem side. Mm-hmm. So if they're having a carotid, let's say they're having a right carotid and there seems to be issues, the uvula may point the opposite direction. It's and that's be, what's going to big boys. Contra- contralateral. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the big boys call it contralateral. Contralateral. <laughs> Epsilateral. Though, yeah, yeah, those are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big so, boys. So, Ben, you're just mentioning about cranial nerve nine and how there is like almost like uh, branches of it within that um, carotid. And so, kind of talk a little bit more about that. Like, what do you mean that they're like inside that carotid? Like, uh, what, what do you, is, what is, as far as what do you mean? The baroreceptors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I don't know if we talk about that later. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah. Bad, no, yeah. no, you're okay. That's, uh, that's the same idea. So, um, those, it kind of comes down with when they come out, um, they're, you're always checking their blood pressure and that has to do with the fact that those, those baroreceptors in your body, baroreceptors are can always checking your blood pressure and monitoring it through your mm-hmm. sympathetic and your, uh, parasympathetic nervous system. They're always, they're, they're constantly controlling, helping control right. your blood pressure through all kinds of different systems, but you're mucking around in there. You're right by the baroreceptors. They're going to come out and potentially have 
blood pressure issues. Right. So again, you're in the carotid, you're mucking around. Okay, so you kind of, you, you touched on their, their glossopharyngeal nerve, cranial nerve nine, but maybe you also mucked with those baroreceptors or changed the pressure that the baroreceptors were expecting to see. And now the patient comes out and they're having high blood pressure. Right. Yeah. So that, and that's why we always, we always hang, we're always controlling their blood pressure right. specifically for these patients. Right. And, and we'll talk about that more. And we're going to talk more about that, like why we're keeping that low and all that later too. Okay. So but that is, but about, you can keep that in mind for the right. carotid specifically. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Andy. So cranial nerve five, seven, nine. Okay. We're already talking about, you know, facial symmetry, uvula, all that. Next one we're talking about is cranial nerve number 10, which I feel like that's the one everyone remembers. It's the vagus nerve. That's the one that literally goes all over um, throughout your body and everything. And how we can um, test that one is going to be by like their gag or ability to swallow. Um, and just the, the proximity of where the vagus nerve is at has a potential of, um, you know, kind of, you know, being either like, you know, touched or have some swelling around it and everything and cause some, um, you know, hopefully just some temporary um, deficits potentially. Um, but yeah, so just that. But then also what's interesting, and this is something that that surgeon mentioned to us that he's like, when he has these old ladies that he does these carotids on, yeah, hey, are you in the church choir? Oh yeah, I'm soprano actually. Well, the, so the basically the cranial nerve that is involved in high-pitched singing and speech is right along there. I think it's actually even like a branch of the vagus nerve he was saying. And um, so he could potentially never be able to sing, you know, those high notes again, which I thought was very that interesting. Very interesting. Huh. Then the other thing with being cranial nerve 10 is going to be that they also have um, baroreceptors located in that aortic arch as well. But we're not like messing around with the aortic arch or we shouldn't be. Right. right. <laughs> Ideally. Yeah. And so then the last cranial nerve we're going to talk about is cranial nerve number 12. Cranial nerve 12 is hypoglossal. Uh, so you're going to obviously have them check. You can check by sticking their tongue out. And I remember this one. I asked the physician. I asked like, because he said like, because he always had them stick their tongue out. He mm-hmm. wanders in. He checks their incentive spirometer. Uh, make sure they have it there. If it's not there, he makes it known. And then he will have you st- them stick their tongue out. But when we were learning about the anatomy of these nerves, the, the, the cranial nerve 12 just really wasn't near anything. It was like kind of higher and it was like kind of posterior to all this stuff. And I, so in my head, I remember I, we specifically asked him, like, you always have them stick their tongue out, but why? And it was really interesting. He just said the swelling from sometimes the swelling from the incision can push up on a branch of the cranial nerve and can lead to deficits with the tongue. And mm-hmm. it, to me, it was just the whole thing of like how much more these physicians know than us and uh, <laughs> just like trusting their assessments. Like, Cause you know, you look at it, you're like, why does he, he always has to stick their tongue out. That cranial nerve's not even, does this guy even know what he's doing? Well, yes. I remember, and you yeah, even said like, and I was like, <laughs> the oh, yeah, I was like, I almost said it, sir, <laughs> sir. How, I was like, we just, we want to know the, just, just tell us the cranial nerves. Like, is it nine, is it 10? And he's because well, he started saying yeah, things. All these, and, he and, said like stuff like a nasa cervicalis and marginal mandibular branch of the blah blah blah. And Andrew said, and Andrew, like, said these aren't even cranial, cranial nerves. Nerve. Yeah. And he was like, they're branches of cranial nerves. <laughs> and I thought, lost my mind. Oh, he was so disgusted too. Oh like, yeah. Oh th- wait, sir, these aren't cranial nerves. It's like yeah. They're branches, branches of cranial, cranial nerves. I mean, they're thinking about this at the whole next level. Yeah. But knowing, okay, so the 12, sticking the tongue out, it's potentially, there's pressure from the swelling and the incision. It's going to push up on a, a right. an innervation of this cranial nerve. is awesome uh, to know that. You're going to check this one by having them stick their tongue out. Um, and the tongue will actually, this one's opposite from your, uh, from your uh, uvula. Your uvula, the, the tongue is going to point towards the issue. 
Right. So you can think about like the tongue. The tongue likes the problem. So you're gonna, your tongue is going to actually point towards where you may be having a deficit or an issue. Right. And so that really sums it up. So 5, 7, 9, 10, and 12. And the hope is that if there is any kind of deficits um, postoperatively, they'll be referred to as a neuropraxia or a temporary losses from the swelling, you know, from being pushed around, mucking around in there and everything. And hopefully it'll resolve in a couple of days. However, as the nurse, you need to be checking these, you know, I think and it depends on the physician order, but you're checking these almost like every 15, every 30, every, you know, half hour, whatever, you know, for quite a bit of time. And so you need to be able to notice those slight differences and everything. Okay, is this progressing, you know, to be able to see like, oh, maybe we're actually having a bigger issue here. Maybe this, right. you know, something's burst or, you know, this, this, uh, this stent has like, you know, closed down and now they're not getting blood flow up there yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So this is a very, very important assessment in a post-op carotid. Nice. So we're kind of putting together kind of like a rapid assessment that you can do to test all those cranial nerves. As we said, it's not important to know all the different little branches of the marginal and whatever. So we put up together a quick, you know, little assessment that you can do on each of those 15 minute checks. You want to take them through that, Ben? Sure. Yeah. The rapid assessment, you're going to come in, you have them smile, raise up their eyebrows. Next, you have them stick out their tongue. You check bilateral hands and feet. So have them squeeze, do the foot pumps, check your sight, the JP, you're taking your JP drainage to make sure you're not having some massive output. You're not having any swelling around the site, any obvious, you don't want to say deformity, but any obvious unilateral swelling. Mm-hmm. And then comparing all this to their baseline. Oh, is their right. neck already puffy? Well, no, or yes, maybe it was. Maybe they're already just a puffy neck. Right. So that you go in there, especially in the beginning, you're doing this every 15 minutes. The order set says every 15 minutes for a couple hours, and then it goes to every 30 and then every hour. Uh, but you go in. Smile, lift their eyelids, stick out their tongue, check their hands and their feet, check their JP site, compare it to their baseline. You right. Just go in and do your check. <clears throat> go in and do your check. Yep. Vigilant assessments on these can really prevent, um, you know, you know, very, I mean, some pretty significant harm for the, for the patient and everything. Being very vigilant with this. Go, yeah, and it doesn't take a whole like it doesn't right. take long. Just go in and That's do your why, check. Just go I, I'm just gonna check. say this right now. That's why I like having these carotid procedures because you can go in there and have them do it like that versus like searching for a pulse on somebody's foot for right, a minute yeah, to yeah. two minutes every. You know what I mean? But that's not what we're talking about today. Okay. Do you, yeah, just go and do your yeah, checks. do your checks and be vigilant. Okay. Next thing we're going to talk about that's very, very important is blood pressure, okay? So obviously the carotid artery is housing, you know, the arterial blood pressure and everything, and they just got done opening, bypassing all these different things and scraping out the inside that we don't want their blood pressure to be too high. And as we were talking with the physician and everything, he was telling us like a national standard is to be a systolic less than 140 um, post-op. And we always kind of got like, oh, why well, do they have to be there? And like, oh, well, they came in, their pressure was 180. Yeah, they live at 180. I'm sure he's fine. Yeah, exactly. But you know, because they had to put this carotid back together after they literally went in there and scraped whatever junk out, right? So they sew it back up. And those stitches and even that like tissue is only rated for a certain pressure that it can hold, right? Exactly. And I think that he, or he was mentioning that was around like 170 millimeters mercury you know on that systolic if we're getting to that point yeah busting that's it right (laughs) it's literally gonna blow literally gonna blow she's gonna blow like that's what's gonna happen and so well no go ahead i was just gonna say so it's really important to be very vigilant with their blood pressure to really try to maintain that less than 140 and everything we can go up to 170 but by the time we hit that 170 mark they blow she's gonna blow exactly so you get to 140 you already want to be reaching for the nitro, at least right. having it there in the room. 
Um, just yeah, just being vigilant of that. Like, oh, well, they're 141. They're still okay. Just go grab the nitro, have it hung there. You know, all of a sudden they're, they have a coughing spell or they, mm-hmm. you know, all you can think of about 50 different things. Well, all of a sudden they're sitting there 160. She's going to blow. blow. Literally, yeah. she's going to blow. I mean, it's, yeah. you're 170, the stitches blow. Right. And you have a really big problem. And then by the time you go to our page, the res, I need nitro, okay, uh, then yeah. go yeah. begrudgingly walk over to the, you know, the OmniCell, bring yeah, it back yeah. and everything. Then they're at 180 and you've, you know, you've totally defeated the purpose of being a nurse for this kind of a patient. You exactly. Know what I mean? So yeah. yeah, they're 140, just go reach for the nitro, have it hung there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No problem with that. Um, so yeah, so speaking of which, nitroglycerin is a great you know, way to lower someone's blood pressure. Uh, oh man, I don't want to even say it's venous, venous vasodilator, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. And then we also have nitroprusside that is like very potent and that can also help with decreasing um, our blood pressure. We have hydralazine is something that they'll kind of push every once in a while. That's the arterial vasodilator. And then also really important is restarting their home meds. If they take, you know, 50 of low presser and Coreg and you know, Norovask and whatever, all this other stuff, you got to get them back on there. You'll never get them off the nitro. And then the other thing that's very important is that these patients really do come out with um, invasive monitoring. That's kind of why they do come out to the ICU and for the really focused assessments they require. But they'll have that, and we need to make sure that it is accurate and everything. Obviously, like zeroing, interpreting the A-line waveforms and everything, you know, whip, damp, and whatever. Oftentimes, you know, they can be, you know, kind of uh, variable. And so you need to get what are called bilateral manual blood pressures, okay? On both arms, if it is, you know, if it's obviously, you know, allowed and everything on that particular patient and compare them and everything. It'd be like, okay, you know, this arm is saying it's, you know, one, you know, actually 150, the A-line saying 180 and the other arm is saying 140. Okay, so now you can tell the surgeon when he comes over, I listen to those Kortikoff sounds with my own ears (laughs) and they're only at 140, I swear, you know, it's like, okay, then we're going to go off those, you know, Um, it's definitely not be afraid to communicate with him about that. And Ben, you want to kind of talk about a little bit about with these vascular patients and everything, how they can vary from arm to arm. Yeah, well, they have those vascular issues already. Sometimes they'll have some stenosis, and those pressures may be different, and that's okay. You just got to be aware of it. And you never, some, and sometimes we're titrating the titrating the nitro, titrating the nitroprusside based on a pressure, and we're only looking at one side. You know, one side may be 135, well, the other side may be 160, and you're already mm. at, you're already almost at that that uh, explosion point, you know? And so right. remembering to check both sides, okay, both sides are good, everything's fine, everything's smooth, we got both sides, okay, well, the one side is this, well, what's the other side? And the physicians will probably want to know that anyways, and right. so just doing that, doing, you know, don't forget your, your, your cuff, the machine cuff, it's still a machine, your art line is still a machine. And just the, you know, the, the gold standard is the bilateral manual pressures. Right. And I was just going to mention very briefly um, a case where we had a post-op carotid. And it, was, uh, it was a left-sided carotid, and the A-line was on their right side. And as soon as they came over, I put a cuff on their left side, just out of, you know, whatever. And off the, the A-line, you know, it was saying that, you know, pressures were like 130. I'm like, okay, this is good. And then all of a sudden, my cuff pressure comes back, and they're like 60 over 30. And I'm just like, okay, what's going on? Okay, with zero, the A-line. Okay, the A-line's still saying that. I was like, oh, shoot, what if this A-line just has like a lot of whip in it? It's reading high. And so obviously, and it was on the left side, so it had me concerned. So I paged um, the, or the resident. They came over, and the, um, the physician came over as well, and they were looking at it. And, you know, they said, okay, you get both sides. And I was like, yeah, but on the right arm, the cuff pressure actually matched the A-line pretty well. But this left side is so weak. Or sorry, <laughs> so low. And the physician goes like light bulb on in his head, runs over the crease like, oh, let me show you this really quick. 
he points onto the pre-op CT exactly where they had some like uh, like right subclavian or sorry left subclavian artery stenosis yep. and their pressure that was like that's why it's going to be so much lower. However, what if we were titrating based off of that left side? Exactly. Right, and it was maybe if it was one thirties or whatever, we get over the other side and we are explosive exploding yeah so exactly yeah that's thanks andrew that's you're exactly 100 right there you gotta gotta just be aware of both sides right they might not be the same yeah exactly especially on these vascular patients these are the the literal the actual patients where it's not going to be the same right and these are the 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 major population where we need to be aware of what both sides are yeah so on the last few parts we're going to go through um, relatively quickly here we're just going to talk about monitoring the site we're obviously watching for any kind of like swelling or forming hematoma. You know, as a vascular procedure, there's obviously potential for this type of thing. And um, and I'm uh, quote me or don't quote me on this, but everyone comes out with a JP drain. That's a carotid endarterectomy, I believe. I've all, they always they've have, always every been time I've seen. Yeah, yeah they always have that. So then you drain. can drain it around there, so it's decreasing the amount of swelling there from whatever you know re- residual you know uh, bleeding and everything. So then we don't get all that swelling on those cranial nerves and cause all those side effects. Nice, right? and that's and that's part of your check with yeah. the five things where you do your neuro check. You check your jp what's their baseline that's what yep. you do it every 15 minutes yeah so just checking that jp making sure it's not not too much swelling and made and if there is a ton of swelling or if there's a ton of jp drainage all of a sudden you've had like 100 ml out in 20 minutes you just right. you gotta call the surgeon they might have to go back to the or yeah exactly so um so yeah we're talking about exactly might have to go back to the or so next we're gonna go on to pain management which is absolutely huge for these post-op carotid patients because there's not a whole lot you can do. Exactly. Because basically we can't give them anything that is going to dampen a neuro assessment. Okay. So that means no narcotics. That means no Phenergan, Benadryl, anything yep. like that that's going to like make them all drowsy. And then all of a sudden we lose our most important assessment on this post-op patient, right? So honestly, probably like the most often thing you can give is going to be Tylenol. That's, yeah, that's really what they always yeah. give. Yeah. And we, I even asked the surgeon like, okay, yeah, we know, we know no narcotics. He goes, yeah, but no Benadryl either. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's like a really good point. Yeah. yeah you like, make them yeah. being tired. Exactly. Yeah. So very few times I've seen an exception to this. And then, um, I think the last thing we're going to talk about is something that might be specific to our surgeon, but he's following a study that was done on all these post-op cardiac patients that were, no matter what, no matter what their mag level was, they got two grams of mag post-operatively. Yeah. Okay. And but, this... Well, it was, I think he said the normal mag is below, was it 1.5? And then for him, it's below two. He gives it for below two. I okay. Think that's yeah, what he yeah. said. He, right. Yeah. And so he gives it to prevent, well, let me back up. So in that study of these post-op vascular and heart patients, they often had like, you know, a runner two of VTAC in the middle of the night, right? Basically cardiac issues. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so then over the night, you know, then the, then the nurse like, Oh, I just saw, you know, a six beat run of VTAC better let the surgeon know. And then he has to, you know, he's going to follow up with the cardiology, you know, they, you know, consult, then they're going to do an EKG. They're going to do a 2D echo. They're going to do a, you know, a stress test. They're going to take him to cath lab. They're going to put five stents in or, you know, whatever it ends up being. But two grams of mag, obviously, we know will help, you know, relax the heart, we always say, and prevent these kind of um, these, you know, maybe this you know, uh, VTACs exactly. and everything. So exactly. we prevent the VTAC. And it's just it's something that happens that night after um, the anesthesia, right? Then we prevent the consult, less time in the hospital, better turnaround time and better patient satisfaction. Better patient and he said that almost yeah. verbatim. And I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, was, it was really interesting. And then the last thing. Um, is going to be talking. We want to talk about heparin. 
Uh, yeah, they're going to put you, they're going to start John Hepburn. Um, it depends on what other anticoagulants may need, may be needed, but they, they do Hepburn. He's uh, the, the surgeon said it's easily reversible. Uh, right. What do we reverse it with? Yeah. Now this is a, this is a test question. I actually saw this question on both the CEN and the CCRN, <laughs> but, uh, protamine. Yep. Yeah. Protamine sulfate reverses Hepburn. It's quick. And then it's really cheap. Right. Well, you know, what's actually interesting about protamine is where it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> salmon sperm yep yeah i mean swimmer swimmers basically i mean that's what it is you know and we and that's what the the, the doctor who we asked about this he's like yeah it was, you know it's uh, salmon sperm everybody knows that like, no <laughs> I, I did not know that yeah so if that's on your nclex or ccr exam you got it but, but heparin, we're yeah, gonna protein. mention that because obviously you know these patients are like you know chronic afib or they're on like eloquist and other anticoagulants and to actually bridge them back over to that we want to start them on heparin because it's easily and it's you know it's or you give them protamine you can reverse it it's cost effective and everything if they do start to develop a bleed however if we just like put them on their eloquist send them to the floor send them home and then four hours from now they're bleeding it's a very expensive and this is more complicated to reverse um eloquist exactly and the surgeon he it's funny all these all these little things we asked about things he always liked was the heparin and he the 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 mag and the incentive spirometer he would always get he he would give out these just very long detailed explanations that to me in my head just sound i mean it literally I mean, it's just huge for the patient right i mean it's like okay you give a little bit of heparin okay so you uh, you give it just a little bit of mag post-op and if you don't it just turns into this, these big long ordeals for the patient right. instead of spirometer was a, a seven minute talk about like <laughs> pneumonia that leads to this that leads to this that leads right. to so these a longer state death. yeah all those, it's like yeah. always death and so right. it's like yeah, just give him these. Uh, he always wants to spend them spirometer bedside. Use it a couple of times. I remember my first, my one of my first ones of these. I, I was getting the room ready, and the nurse who was orienting me. Uh, I'm not going to say her name, but the nurse who was orienting me uh, came in, not in a bad way or anything. Just trying to be respectful. She came in and said, uh, "Well, where's the incentive spirometer?" You know, I had my pen light ready. I had the cardiac this. I had that ready. I was ready to do the neuro checks. I had this. I just Googled, you know, and our directed me. I was fully, fully locked and loaded for this for my first art dart. And she's like, where's the incentive spirometer? It's like, what? The incentive spirometer? We don't need it's, it's a, It was a vascular, so we need the incentive spirometer for what? And she said, go get the incentive spirometer. Never, ever upset the bald man and i was like terrified i i get that i was like it's so horrible like the bald man who is the bald? like it sounded like somebody who like you know like visits you in your nightmares and like eats your dreams like i mean the like do not ever upset the bald man i was terrified turned out the bald man was the surgeon and uh but but when we again i asked him about it and it turned into like literally this is like the patient dying from pneumonia because right they're already vascularly uh, depleted, and they're at, at risk for this. And then you, you don't get them to expand their lungs after anesthesia, and they come back three days with a, a massive pneumonia. And you just do the little bit of incentive spirometer, and they have way better outcomes. Exactly. I think that's kind of where, um, even it's, it's just off topic, but like we really you know appreciate the surgeon for how much he cares about his patients. He literally goes above and beyond um, for them, and we really respect that. And we also respect the time that he gave us. I, he, I know. He he sat down with us for literally like 25, 30. I, yeah, I, yeah. You, I, 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 we pulled up like a, just, a, just out of curiosity of like how much an average surgeon makes and like how much his time is worth. So like after he was like done talking to us, we literally owe him like 150 bucks. <laughs> it was like, what a nice guy to just sit down yeah. and like, 
Educate yeah. us. So anyways, right. again, Absolutely. a big thank you to the surgeon. We can't say his name, but just a big, big thank you. Yeah. Uh, very, very nice of him. Yeah. So. so I think that really wraps it up. So we, you know, we covered how important that neuro assessment is, how important it is to cover their, you know, their, or to control their blood pressure, monitoring that site, and then also, you know, managing their pain without narcotics or anything that's going to make them drowsy, and then also encouraging that IS. Be vigilant in your assessments. Don't be afraid to, you know, call something out that you're seeing that like, hey, this is a different, this is a change, or we need more for their blood pressure. This is, you know, this is very, very important for the for the patient outcomes. And we hope that this, you know, this podcast really helped you guys understand that a little bit better. And now we can just be a better and more cohesive part of the post-stop carotid endarterectomy, sir. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, I guess that COVID's still gonna hang out. That's so excited. You're gonna be ready for that endarterectomy for your first endarterectomy for your last yeah. one. You will be, the, you know, the the guy who knows the endarterectomy. You will be the dart man. <laughs> oh yeah, go go give. Oh, he's we're getting another endar. Give it to the dart man. <laughs> the dart man. Two male nurses expressly disclaims any liability in association with this podcast.